0: All right, I'm going to ask you guys if I take a couple of sips during the message. I'm going to ask you to pardon me. I, I dehydrated myself yesterday because I was going to watch Endgame and I didn't want to go to the bathroom. So, trying to recover from that. I only had to go once, which was good for me. So, anyway, so we're in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 16 today. And we've been in the book of Acts for a couple of months now. Uh, just a short uh, recap of what's going on in the book of Acts. We know that. In chapter 1, Jesus was about to ascend to heaven. He told the disciples not to leave until they received the promise of the Father. And uh, we see on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Uh, he came upon the church, and they were empowered. They were speaking different languages, and they were empowered to be uh, Jesus' witnesses to the whole world. So we're starting to see that the church is starting to spread out. They're starting to, to have a community, which we call the church today. They would meet together. And they would pray together. They would listen to the teachings of the apostles. They were providing for one another. The Bible says that signs and wonders followed them and that God was adding to their number daily. After this, we see that a huge persecution rose up against the church. And um, as they were persecuted, they started to spread throughout the rest of the world. And in, in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 4, it says that wherever they went, they continued to share the gospel. So the persecution was not stopping them. They were convicted of this truth, the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. So they continued to go and share the message. In the middle of this persecution, there was a man named Saul. That, that was uh, given the authority to go and to imprison Christians and to beat them and, and to have them killed. And in the middle of that, Jesus saved him. Jesus revealed himself to him, and he became a powerful evangelist for the gospel. He went on missionary trips. And anyway, so we're going to be looking at right before, I'm um, just leading up to, to our text in, in chapter 15, verse 36, Paul, who was getting together with, with a brother named Silas, they were going out to, to a mission on, on a missionary journey. And um, he went on the first journey with Barnabas, and uh, they were going to go and go back to all the cities that they had once seen and to strengthen the brothers and see how they were doing. There was a a rift between them. They disagreed about John Mark, who had previously left them, so Paul didn't trust them and wanted to take him. And uh, anyway, they broke up into two groups there. They're going on the second missionary journey. They pick up uh, Timothy on the way there, and um, so they have a plan together. They're about to head out. And um, Before we get into the text, let's just pray real quick. Lord, we come before you to thank you for all that you have done, Lord. We thank you for, for saving us. We thank you for meeting us in our situations. Um, when we were lost, Lord, you have came and given us new life through you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we hear your word today, we may be touched and moved by the way that you have jumped into individuals' lives in their brokenness, in their their pain, in their sorrow, or even in in a place where they were not even aware that they needed you. And you have done the same thing with us, Lord. You have led us to you and you have saved us. We ask you all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The big idea is that God's people are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to meet people in their current condition and share Christ through the gospel message so in every salvation story everyone that's that's here that has given their life to christ everyone has a different story and in this story christ has met them there even when we hear stories of three thousand getting saved two thousand getting saved sometimes we don't stop to think that each and every one of those people are a story they were all in a place where they needed christ and christ has made himself known to them Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And they had come up to Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a roman colony we remained in the city for some days so they were trying to go to asia and they were probably heading towards ephesus which was a large city at the time but the bible says here that they were forbidden by the holy spirit to speak the word in asia so they turned north trying to go up to bithynia and then it says in verse seven but the spirit of jesus did not allow them the the spirit of god was guiding them towards the north northwest until they reached troas So I don't know if they came here to regroup. They were probably a little confused. Uh, they thought, man, we, knew, we thought we knew exactly what he was doing. But, but but the Spirit of God continues to guide us towards a certain place. And, and obviously when it says that the, that the, the Spirit of God stopped them from, from speaking or the Spirit of Christ didn't allow them to go, the Bible doesn't really explain what happened. We don't know what happened, whether there was a prophetic word or there was just like a, a, inner, a feeling inside or, or maybe somebody got sick. We don't know exactly. But what we do know, what I think is, is being communicated here is that they were trusting that whatever was happening it was the spirit of god that was leading them they were trusting in the sovereignty of god to lead them and sometimes god doesn't only lead us by opening doors he leads us by closing doors so in the middle, when we're trying to make decisions, and you know I think about us. I think of about a couple of months ago, we were, trying, we're, trying, or were still in the process of getting a new place for the church, a new building. And when we were looking, we, we were doing our due diligence. We were looking for places. We were trying to you know, figure out things. And, and as we did that, we were like, okay, this is the place. And then that fell through. And we were looking at another place, and that fell through. And I think we somewhat wrestled with some discouragement there. But then I remembered that if we're trusting in God to lead us, then we're going to have to trust him that even when the doors close, it is God closing those doors. So why does he do that? Because God wants to direct us, and there's a plan that he has for us. So Paul sees a vision in the night when they're in Troas, and it's a man of Macedonia telling him to come in to help. And one thing I want to point out here that after that it says that it says the word we in in verse 10. It says we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Uh, The reason why it says we is because this is the first time that that Luke is including himself in the story. Luke wrote the book of Acts, so he joined uh, Paul on this journey here. So they saw it, and they were looking to uh, go to Macedonia, and they gathered together. It looks like they had a conversation about it. They discussed it, and they decided that God was leading them to Macedonia. So there was a, this is an interesting sequence of events that God uses to lead them to Macedonia. So, so uh, I, I think here, you know, this is something that happens in our life. They, we make plans, and we try to do things, and we get together. We think about things, but things don't, only, oh, things don't always work out. The way that we expect them to, and I encourage us to not be discouraged by those things. So when we see the the Holy Spirit guiding them, I want to just I think there's a couple of principles that we can see from here. First of all, they, they had a plan. They weren't waiting in Antioch just saying, "Let me wait for God to write in the sky what exactly He wants us to do." They had a plan. They put together a plan. They thought about it. They um they they, they already knew that God had called them for certain things. God had called them to be evangelists, to go and to, and to share the gospel. So they said, okay, there's some people that need to hear the gospel. Let's go over there. And they started um, going that way. Also, Paul was told by Jesus that he was going to be a light to the Gentiles and also that he was going to suffer for his namesake. And also, they had, as, as Mike spoke about two weeks ago, as the Gentiles were getting saved, there was some confusion there. They weren't sure if the Gentiles needed to hold on to the Jewish traditions or if they could just come to Christ or they need to become Jews somewhat in the beginning before they came to Christ. But they had decided – the church had gone together and decided that, that they didn't have to uh, – there, there were certain ordinances, things they had to, to keep, but they didn't have to become Jews first in order to become Christians. So that was a new message that he had to share with the, with the Gentile Christians. So they had a plan. They decided to go with it. They were moving in the middle of it. They weren't just waiting uh, for God to say something specific because they already knew what God wanted them to do. Another thing is, like I said earlier, they trusted in the sovereignty of God. You know, um, sometimes God uses uh, supernatural or or just natural ways to guide us in, in the decisions that we make. It's great when we feel like we nailed it on the first time and we know exactly what God wants. But we, we need to just, just trust God and know that within his sovereignty, he's going to direct us. And uh, also, it, when, when they said that they concluded, one thing that I, that I see here is that they discussed this. They got together and they talked about it. There was a process f- to figure out what God's will was. But anyway, they came together. And, and I advise you, when you're trying to see God's will in your life, Come and talk to people. Find advisors. Find people that you trust, that you know, that you have seen, that has, have walked the walk and have um, stability in their relationship with God. Proverbs 15, says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Of course, we're assuming that these advisors are, are wise advisors. You know, we don't want to go someone without wisdom. So anyway, so just some principles that we see there. Uh, so they ended up in Philippi. And we know that Philippi needed the gospel. You know, we live in a place where everybody knows about Jesus, whether they know him or or not. You have to remember, this is a new message that was starting to spread. People were not, there wasn't any internet. So, you know, people were were going out and they were spreading out, sharing the gospel wherever they went. So we see in in, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out outside the gate to the riverside. Where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the, the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us so paul and his group uh when they used to go into into cities the f- custom was to first go to the synagogue so when they're not mentioning them being in a synagogue we can assume that it wasn't a synagogue here and um what when there were 10 jewish men in a city that's when they were built a synagogue so there was there was no synagogue here so they found a group of women having a prayer meeting maybe having a bible study talking about the lord and they sat down and they had a conversation with them They sat down and they uh, spoke to them about Jesus, about salvation through Christ. And the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart. God opened Lydia's heart. So let's look at Lydia a little bit. Let's talk about her. So Lydia was a trader of purple. And purple uh, merchandise was something that was very expensive because there was a, a rare snail that was used in order to dye something purple at the time. It's not like, you know, we have... We have factories that do that these days. It was a little bit different back then. We can conclude here that, that Lydia was a, a, a wealthy woman. She was a wealthy woman from Asia. And it says here that she was a worshiper of God. Uh, and it seems like she had a, an, an affinity towards Judaism because the Bible says that she was a worshiper of God. So she was religious, uh, probably very moral. She probably seemed to have it all together. She was blessed financially, probably a good pr- person. And she's reunited with a bunch of women praying here. So even though she seemed like everything was put together, she still needed Jesus because we know that salvation comes through Jesus alone. So Paul shares the the gospel with her, and it says that the Lord opened up her eyes. So the Lord opened up her spiritual eyes to the need for a Savior. So he met her where he was. He made her alive. He convicted her of her sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, which Paul was sharing the gospel, she came to know Christ, the loving Savior that saw her in her need. So no matter how much money she had, no matter how put together she was, there was a need that she had. And it's a need that we all have because we all have one condition, and that condition is sin. All of us are born in sin. So we're all sinners and we all need a savior. So when we look at her life, you know, she seems to be a good person. So some people may may not have seen uh, so so much of an external transformation, but she was dead and now she's alive. If we don't understand man's sinful condition, we won't understand what's the big deal here. The big deal here, like I said, is that everyone needs a savior no matter how good they think they are. And this reminds us of this place where we live here in the Bible Belt. So everybody goes to church in the Bible Belt. So, you know, they might live moral lives. You know, we might not see a lot of external sin. But guess what? We're all born dead in sin. And un- unless we put our faith in Christ for our salvation, then we are destined to spend eternity without him. Our good that we do is not good enough. Because when, when, when the demand is Jesus' sinless perfection... And all of us fall short of that. So no matter how good we think we are or no matter how religious we think we are, we all need a Savior. Amen? So her salvation was quiet. It might not show up on YouTube. It wasn't uh, a, lot, a lot of noise that was made. But she needed Jesus, and Jesus met her where she was. Jesus met her where she was. So I encourage you guys, you know, with with this, uh, let's be sure to share the gospel and expose our family members and our and our and our friends, even the ones that seem to be good people. They need the gospel, unless they have uh, given their li- life to Christ. So Lydia gets baptized; her whole family gets baptized also. Uh, the, ex- the apostles accept an invitation from her to come into their house, and Lydia. Uh, houses the first church in europe they believe that she was the first european christian because now the the gospel had just reached europe so lydia's conversion that didn't seem like a big deal was a huge impact on the world and even to uh, the, the church today um, and one thing I do want to say, she invited people in her house, she was generous, she was hospitable. I think that even though we might not see our house which is as a church, but I want to encourage you guys, use your house as a place where the gospel is shared. Use your house to, uh, as a place where you can share, show the love of Christ to people. Some people might not come to church, but and our houses are a place where we can do that. Let's reach out and bring people in. Let's be people that are hospitable and show the love of Christ. That's not part of the message. That was just an extra uh, nugget there. Another point that we see here is that Luke, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, that Luke uh, exalts women. He shows that women had an impact on the kingdom of God. This was unheard of during these times where women were, were believed to be less human at the time. Um, but he mentioned so many women in, in this book that had impacts. So when people talk about the Bible and they say, oh, the Bible sexist, it's really, it's really not. When you look at it, there was more dignity given to women in the Bible than in any other place during this time. Like I said, Lydia was rich. Uh, she was a person that was, that was a moral person, but she still needed the gospel. Jesus also in in, in verse 16, he saves a slave girl. Verse 16 says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So this was a huge contrast compared to what happened with Lydia. This was a slave girl. Lydia was rich. She was accomplished. She was moral. She had it all together. And this was a a slave girl who was a slave. She She owned nothing. She didn't even own herself, and she was broken and tormented. Her brokenness was a little more externally obvious than Lydia's was. And you can look at her and you knew that she needed some sort of salvation. Uh, she was taken advantage of. She was probably abused. She was exploited. And uh, she was in a, in a very uh, broken place. Uh, when, when the Bible says divination spirit, it literally means spirit python. So in Greek mythology, uh, a python guarded the temple of Apollo. And the word python at that time came to be used to describe a a demon possessed person who uh, was to believe that the python would speak to her. So uh, by the power of the python, she would make predictions. This was a, you know like a, a demonic manifestation. She would start speaking in a different voice, and the the python would speak through her that's what, what, what was believed so the locals considered her a fortune teller and they believed that she was inspired by apollo and the python to 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 predict the future so her owners were making a lot of money from her so one thing that's weird here is like was she on the apostle side because she was testifying some truth about the apostles but paul gets annoyed here and and in a burst of irritation he uh just commands the the demon to come out of her And notice that he spoke to the demon, not to her. So he wasn't annoyed by the girl. He was annoyed by the demon. And uh, he was grieved and angered because of the condition of this young lady. So why was the demon there? Why was the demon seeming to support them? We really don't know. But maybe the demon was trying to discredit the the gospel by associating itself with with Jesus. He was maybe trying to blur truth. And we know that the devil, when he deceives, he does use some truth mixed with lies to deceive. We even saw Jesus had cast down demons from demon-possessed people that seemed to be also proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. But either way, I wouldn't want to hire Satan to be the head of my advertising department. So, you know, we know that when Satan does something, he's here to kill, steal, and destroy, right? So anything that's associated with him, we should really avoid, even if it sounds to be true, even if it seems like we can gain some sort of advantage from it. Anyway, these days we have a lot of uh, cults, that are, like Christian cults, that, proclaim, that seem to proclaim Christ, but they are not biblical based. We have false religions. We even have some um, within the Hispanic community, Santeria, which is like a mix of Catholicism and witchcraft. So a lot of times, you know, we, Satan will take a little bit of truth and deceive people. Like I said, everything that Satan does is to kill, steal, and destroy. So we really don't want to uh, have him involved in anything that, that he's doing. So anyway, so she was in the middle of a, of a real uh, dark situation here when Jesus uh, cast the, the demon out of her. I can imagine the feeling of peace that she, that she felt at, at, that, at that moment right there. In the Bible, it describes demon-possessed people as being deaf, mute, uh, torturing themselves, being tormented, being troubled, mutilating themselves. This is not a fun place to be in. This is a place where they were in anguish and pain and, and depression, and the demon was cast out of her. So just think about the peace that this young lady felt at this one moment so jesus came he met her in her life where she was he delivered her and 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 although the bible doesn't explicitly say that she came to him and became a christian many scholars believe that she did one of the reasons is because it's in the middle of two testimonies we spoke about lydia and later we're going to speak about the jailer so they believe that she did come to christ also the spirit had gone from her she wasn't fortune telling anymore and what happened was the men that owned her, they were upset because now they couldn't make money off of her. So they went to the magistrate and they said that these are Jews and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. So they were upset that their golden goose was no longer laying eggs. So what they did was they uh, they trumped up false charges against the apostles. So uh, comparing Lydia and the, and the slave girl – Lydia may not have known that she was in need, but Jesus knew that she needed him. This girl was a little more obvious. She was used by her owners. She was used by Satan. She was a double slave. She was abused. She was exploited by her owners and Satan. She was spiritually and emotionally wrecked. She was desperate. She was hopeless. She was looked down on by society. Maybe some of us, Jesus came to our life when we were in a similar situation. Maybe Jesus found us in a place where we were in the middle of addiction, where we were in despair, when we were in pain and suffering. We might have been embarrassed of our condition. We might have been ashamed of our condition. We might have felt hopeless. We might have felt worthless. Or maybe she thought that all she was good for was to be used to make money off of Either way, she was in a broken place, and Jesus came into her life. And I don't know if she stopped being a slave to these people. I know that she wasn't a slave to Satan anymore. And she had found peace and joy in the Lord. So these are two different stories, Lydia and the slave girl. And in verse uh, 22, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrate tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods and when they had afflicted many blows on them they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely having received this order he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks so because of the conversion of this slave girl, like I said, their owners were not able to make money off of them. So uh, Paul and, and, and Silas were put into jail, and they were dragged before the officials, stripped of their clothes, and beaten with rods and thrown into the prison and, uh, and, and, and put in stocks. And stocks, uh, they were, they were, their feet were placed in uh, wooden stocks, and they were fastened to the wall, and it was used as an instrument of torture. So it wasn't just like handcuffs. It was more than that. And they would have a number of different holds on the stocks because they would put their bodies in different positions, contort them, their bodies into, into positions that the body's not supposed to be in. And also, they would stretch out their, their torsos, and they would be in excruciating pain. So, like I said, it wasn't just being in, 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 uh, in handcuffs here. And in the inner prison, in the Roman prisons, there were three sections. There was the outer the outer section that was, had more air and sunlight. Then there was a middle section. And then the inner, inner prison was a place where it was humid in there. And, and some scholars believe that all the urine and feces from all the other prisoners all came and met in that one place. It was like a dungeon. And we talk about the jailers. Scholars believe that the jailers of prisons were ex-Roman soldiers. So they were uh, proven in combat. They were fit soldiers. And uh, the, the Roman soldiers were not known to be humanitarians. <laughs> Rome, uh, the Roman soldiers were trained to be ruthless, to be brutal, and to be violent, and to, to disregard the lives of their, of their enemies. So when you became a jailer, you actually enjoyed inflicting pain on people. You enjoyed torturing people. No one becomes a boxer unless they like to fight. You know, anyway, so, when, you know, this is probably part of his life. This is partly who he was. He was probably this tough guy that uh, wore maybe wore who he was as a, as a badge of honor. And in verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So in the middle of the night, Paul and Titus are having a night of worship. And they believe that in the middle of this tough situation, they still had a reason to praise God. They trusted God. They had faith that he was working uh, all things for their good and for his glory. And they, uh, they were expressing their faith by praising him in the middle of a tough time. I don't know what, ta- what songs they were singing. They might have been singing, Trust You, Jesus, maybe Praise You in the Storm. <laughs> and, and, we, and, and we sing a lot, of, a lot of songs like this, a lot of songs that teach us to trust in God in the middle of the tough times maybe they were singing some psalms David had many psalms that he was where he seemed almost to be struggling with two realities here it's like I know I'm struggling I know I'm in pain but yet I will still trust in the Lord and I think one of the things that's beautiful about the psalms is that we see that struggle there I've met Christians that when someone say man I uh, I'm, I'm I'm sad because of, no don't 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 confess that and I'm just like we need to know where we are in order to get where we want to be and where God wants us. So it's not about denying truth. It's about, just like Dick Wakeman saying, says, looking, looking at the situation through God. Knowing that God is in control. God is good. God is for us. And we can trust in him during these times. So the Bible teaches us a lot about um, praising God in the middle, in the middle of, of our situation. And one of the things that's interesting about this, it says that the inmates were listening to them. So I'm sure that this had an impact on the inmates as they heard them praise God in the middle of the tough situation. And one thing, another part that's interesting is they didn't know what was going to happen. We know the end of the story. We know that they got delivered, but they didn't know that. They didn't know if they would die there. And they knew that there was a huge possibility of it. So their praise was not dependent on their situation. It was on it was dependent on their faith in God. They knew God and they trusted him. And also, like I said, you know, as they praised him, I'm sure that they impact the lives of the people around him. And I'm not saying that we should fake it. I'm just saying that God can give us peace in the middle of our struggles. We see Paul wrote the book of Philippians 10 years later, and he spoke about that he learned the secret of contentment. He also said that he can do all things through Christ and the correct interpretation that is basically I can face any situation through the power of God that lives inside of me. He also said that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he was okay with losing his life if he was there to, to be giving his life for the sake of the gospel. He was okay with that. And he taught us to rejoice in all things throughout the book of Philippians. So the same man that's in the city getting tortured... Wrote back to these people and told him. I mean what a testimony that is to them. That he was able to rejoice in the middle of of the situations he was in. Paul also wrote in Romans 8.28 that all things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul also wrote in Romans uh, 5.3 that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And James chimed in also about joy and suffering in chapter 1, verse 2, when he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, like I said, their praise was not dependent on their situation, it was dependent on their God. They were depending on their God because they knew that he was good and that he was doing something in the middle of it, they trusted him. And how do we, can we have this faith? By abiding in Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to produce his love, his joy, his peace, and his patience in the middle of our suffering. They praised God because they trusted him. And I, heard, I read some, uh, I remember who it was that said one time that praise is the ultimate form of faith. To praise God in the middle of tough situations, it means that you trust him. So they praised God, and God intervened supernaturally. There was an earthquake, and they were set free. In verse 29, it says, And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32 says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour in the night and washed their wounds. What a turn there. He was just beating them. Now he's washing their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So one point I want to make here when he was saying that him and his household were saved, his household was not saved because he was saved. But they all came to saving faith through Christ when the gospel was shared with them. Because some people would say that someone is saved because... Uh, their father was saved, and that we know that the that salvation is an individual thing. We got to see what the rest of the Bible says about salvation. The Bible set, teaches that the command to believe is is directed to individuals. Believing is a personal action, and we can only come to Christ through personally believing Him, not someone believing in him for us. We see this similar in the in the the story with Cornelius in Acts chapter 11 and also with Lydia earlier in this chapter. So the family was not saved because one person was saved, but it just happens to be that everyone in their family had come to saving faith in Christ. In 1631, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So we see that there's a promise here. It says, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus, then you will be saved. So they all believed, they all responded, they all came to Christ. But it's not because the Father got saved. So anyway, so God came in supernaturally, shook the place up. And um, the earthquake itself wasn't what caused him to to believe. After that, it says that Paul and Silas, uh, it says, and, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So the, the preaching of the gospel gave meaning to the supernatural event that took place with, with God shaking up the prison. So he was torching them, but yet Paul and Silas were merciful towards him. How, would, how many of you might have let him kill himself? <laughs> I, I think about this. I'm like, man, I would, you know, I would have saw that as God's deliverance a little bit. you know. But they were merciful towards him. And they saw an opportunity to share the gospel. Not only did they see an opportunity to share the gospel in the middle of their suffering, they saw an opportunity to share the gospel uh, to the person that was causing them to suffer. That's a big deal. And I think about that, and it's just like, wow, only the Spirit of God could give someone love for someone that just beat them. Their wounds were still open, and their blood was still wet when they shared the gospel with this man. So God met the jailer where he was, being a brutal person, being a person that inflicted pain on other people. And God met him where he was, and he saved him and his family. So when we see these three stories, we see different stories. We see, like I said, Lydia had it all put together. She thought she was straight. We see a person that it's obvious that she needed Jesus or she needed some sort of salvation. And that we see a person that was rejecting any kind of religion or rejecting Christ at all. I mean, you know, you know rejecting anything that, that would be taking responsibility for their actions. So we see different stories here in different circumstances that led the missionaries to this one place. Because Philippi needed the gospel. Why did Philippi need the gospel? Because there were individuals in the city that needed the gospel. Every single individual was a story. And how many of us can look back and see how God orchestrated certain things in our life that, that led to our salvation? Do you think about that? How many, do you think about how, how God met us where we were? Some of us might have been looking for him. Some of us might have not been looking for him. But God met us where we were. I'm humbled that God would choose to save me. And to to show me His love, and to save my soul, and to lead me to Him, we see His sovereignty in so many things that He does. I mean, I'm just even when I'm, as I'm speaking here, I'm just thinking about different things where, where we see uh, God work in miraculous ways. And even for that, I, I my worship comes from this place. My worship comes from a place of appreciation comes from a place of love to God because he loved me first. And just seeing what he does in the lives of us. He met all of us where we were. And all of our stories are different. We were all broken. Our brokenness might have had a different flavor. It might have looked different in all of us, but we were all in need of a Savior. And like I said earlier, there's so many places in the Bible where we see thousands of people coming to Christ. But each one of those people are an individual with a story. Christ was shared in the synagogues. It was shared while in jail and while suffering. It was shared in a prayer meeting. Christ was shared to a, a lost slave girl. But we know that only Jesus can light up a dark heart. Only Jesus can make a dead soul alive. No one comes to Jesus unless it's the father that draws him near. So Lydia thought she had it all right. The slave girl was desperate for help. And the jailer was not even thinking about God, probably. The book of Acts shows different situations where, where we, we see God, like I said, meeting people in the middle of, of where they were. In the same way, God empowers us and leads us to meet people where they are, to share the gospel. Paul and Silas, they, they, they were meeting with someone that was in a prayer meeting in the middle of their suffering or you know, wherever the situation was. They were looking for opportunities to share the gospel. They spread the gospel message through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and they turned the world upside down in this place. So I'm, I'm going to ask Keith if he wants to come up and have a response song. But um, just a, a few uh, application points. I think it's important for us to remember our story, to remember where we were <laughs> when Jesus met us. We might not have an exact date. Some people, it was like a an impacting experience. Sometimes it was a time of our life where God just made himself more real to us. And I think that that should inspire appreciation from us. Like I said, we all have stories, whether it was quiet, whether it was loud or radical. Either way, God met us where we were. Another thing I want to encourage you guys to share your story People need to hear what God has done in our lives and we shouldn't be ashamed whether our story was maybe too bad or maybe some people are ashamed because their story is not bad enough. (laughs) Regardless of where it was, you were dead and now Christ has made you alive. Sharing your story is an opportunity for you to give glory to God. And let's not steal glory for God by not sharing with people. I appreciate hearing everyone's story. Ask people about their story. How did you come to know Jesus? And the last application point is that use your story to share the gospel. Our stories itself are not the gospel, but it gives a context to the gospel. Share the gospel message to the broken, to the hurt, to the lost, to the proud, to the self-righteous, to the wicked, to the evil, to the rich, to the poor, to the black, to the white, and every other color in between. I'm not talking about shades of gray. You guys know what I mean? (laughs) To the soft-hearted, to the hard-hearted, to the sweetheart, to the rude person, to the person that was taken advantage of, share the gospel even if you're the one that takes advantage of people. To the religious, the non-religious, regardless who it is, God can meet anyone where they are. We tend to have people that we're more comfortable sharing the gospel with we might say man it's easy to share with the slave girl because it's obvious that there's a need we might be, be a little bit afraid of the jailer or even afraid to share it with lydia who thought she had it all together the gospel meets us in our brokenness regardless of what the situation is